Hello, and welcome to the Collider.com podcast. I'm Collider.com senior editor Matt Goldberg, and with me is deputy editor Adam Chitwood. Howdy, folks. Today, we'll be talking about the 2020 Oscar nominees. This is our predictions episode. So the Oscars are on Sunday. If you're looking for some help with your ballot, you're going, you have an Oscar pool going, you're trying to show off for your friends, we will do our best to assist you. Uh, disclaimer, we're a bit lost on some of these this year. <laughs> uh, the data is not as strong as we had hoped. Um, and some of these categories are going to be a toss up. Um, so basically this episode, you're going to hear us working through like, uh, it could be this, it could be that. But, uh, some of them we have pretty, we're pretty sure which way the Academy is going to go, but others, uh, not so much. So it should be a fun lesson. And the way we're going to do it is we've, we're on the Oscars website right now and on their nominees page. And we're just working our way from the bottom to the top. So at the bottom, you have the writing nominees, and then all the way at the top are the Best Picture nominees. So that's how this is going to go. So uh, we're just going to dive right in, uh, and let's talk about the nominees for writing for original screenplay. The nominees are Knives Out, Marriage Story, 1917, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, and Parasite. And this is not as settled as it seems. No, it is not. It's... uh. I don't know. If, if you watch The Good Place and you know the episode where Chidi learns about Jeremy Barramy and he says, this broke me, that's how I feel about looking at last year's Oscars. The dot broke me. <laughs> the dot broke me. This broke me. Uh, that's how I feel about, you know, like Green Book winning, you know, Green Book too divisive to win Best Picture and yet it won Best Picture and it won Best Original Screenplay or Adapted or whatever the fuck it was. Original. Uh, and uh, God, that was an original story. Oh, my God. Uh, I'm not here to relitigate the Oscars from last year again. Uh, and Bohemian Rhapsody, you know, won a ton of like best editing. Like what the fuck? So this year, I mean, in years past, it, when it came to like predicting the Oscars, I was a bit of a stat hound. And this year I'm trying to go a little bit more with instinct um, just because that seems to serve well. Although there are some categories where stats don't lie because they always follow uh, a pattern. So Looking at the screenplay categories, at, at Best Original Screenplay in particular, um, there were two big award ceremonies this past weekend that kind of point towards a shift in these two categories and, and kind of a uh, solidification of who we think might win. And those are the Writers Guild Awards and the BAFTAs, which are the British Oscars, um, which famously use a, a preferential ballot for Best Picture. And you know they're a large voting body of industry insiders, so – there, what they choose kind of gives you an idea of what the Academy is going to choose. So that's a long-winded way of me saying, I think I'm picking Parasite to win Best Original Screenplay. Yeah, I'm leaning that way as well. It seems like, for whatever reason, any sort of momentum behind Once Upon a Time in Hollywood has dissipated beyond yeah. Brad Pitt winning Best Supporting Actor. Um Again, I don't know why. What you know? What so you know? If whether I think you... it's I think it's early front runner syndrome. Mm. I mean, the same thing happened to Social Network. But it was like, you know, if you asked us in November what's going to win Best Picture, it was like, eh, probably Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. So it was the first one to kind of emerge as a front runner alongside The Irishman and Marriage Story, and just kind of fell away. Yeah, and, and which doesn't which not only is it the early front runner, but again, which we've talked about in previous episodes, you have a real really contracted voting season this year. Um, so and that's and that seems to have really benefited 1917, which I could also see possibly pulling an upset in this category, but yeah. right now it seems like Parasite has the momentum. 
Um, and so I think Parasite is also going to win Best Original Screenplay. Yeah, the, it should be said the screenplay categories are kind of the cool kids tables in recent years. That's where voters seem to be willing to like give the award to Get Out or to Manchester by the Sea or to Her. Um, you know, uh, awarding stuff that they're not going to give best picture to, but um, they could maybe feel giving it to something that's really interesting or different. Not to say a best uh, screenplay winner can't also win best picture, as was the case with Green Book last year and Spotlight in 2015. Um, but I, uh, I think there's a path where you could see Knives Out winning this. Um, or even Marriage Story, with a, which I think is probably... I mean, my if I had a ballot, it'd probably be Knives Out. Mary's story and parasite vying for that number one slot but but yeah it'll be interesting to see what happens i think the momentum is behind parasite right now i think it's a deserving winner yeah and tarantino's face i want to see it you know you know you said i mean you sort of be like on the one hand like yeah obviously tarantino really wants to win but also like i'm pretty sure tarantino's like a bong joon ho fan so i don't think he's gonna be like mad online or whatever He's super competitive. I mean, it, it, he, when he was on the rewatchables, he like relitigated the whole Oscar race between him and Mark Bull, um, the year of the Hurt Locker, where the Hurt Locker beat out Inglorious Bastards, and you know he he recounted it in like a fun way, but also in a way where he, he you know kind of like sports teams, where he like every time he saw Mark Bull, he was like, "I got your fucking number, man." He's <laughs> like, "You're not gonna beat me." And like he said, this is what he said to Mark Bull. He said, like, you're not going to get up out of your fucking seat. And then lo and behold, Mark Bull won. Um, and then I think they were head to head again the year of Django and Zero Dark Thirty. Um, so I think good natured, but also from that recounting, I think it was on the, I can't remember which episode of, uh, maybe it was on the Bill Simmons podcast, um, one of those interviews. Uh, he just made very clear that he does care about Oscars and like, He's a person who lists things, and so he's like, you know, the year that I deserved it was this year. The year that I was legitimately robbed was the year of Inglorious Bastards versus the Hurt Locker. Like, in his mind, that was a, um, an unfair loss. So. Hmm. That, so we'll see if he feels similar this, this so year. I'm a, sure he will let us know. That's such a weird thing to care about. <laughs> like, well, it, it's like, like, I get, like, if, like, oh, uh, an Oscar would really help my career, but, like, you're Quentin Tarantino— and you you supposedly only have one movie left. What do you? What the fuck do you care? You already have two Oscars. He loves movies. Nah, Oscars aren't movies. Okay, it doesn't <laughs> matter. I won't. I won't get into his psychology. All right, uh, let's move on to writing for adapted screenplay. The nominees are The Irishman, Jojo Rabbit, Joker, Little Women, and The Two Popes. Uh, and this weekend, it, like Jojo Rabbit won the WGA and the BAFTA. Yeah. Yeah, I'm going to go with Jojo Rabbit as well. Um, I like the movie. I don't necessarily understand the kind of groundswell of Oscar support for it. I think it's fine. I think it's very good. Um, but people really love this movie. It's very clear. And I think this is a way for them to award it something without giving it Best Picture or Best Director um, or Best Supporting Actress. So I think this is where they could do it. Although I think we could also brace for a Joker win here. I'm it dep- see that that's sort of one of the big questions hanging over the night. What kind of night will Joker have? Yeah. Is Joker if like that's the, like is Joker going to start running away with like all these other categories? Like what kind cuz we know Joker's going to win best actor. That's sort of yeah. set. 
but does it have enough momentum to win in like best director? Does it like, it'll probably win best actor. It'll probably win best score, but will it also win like best cinematography? And they, they won't been win best cinematography. If, if anything other than 1917 wins best <laughs> cinematography, thing, things have gone horribly awry, but you get what I'm saying. It's that yeah. Joker has the most nominees of any film. Yeah, um, if it wins best editing, it'll be like, whoa, could we be on our way to a best picture win? For exactly. Movie? Like, so the question is, is like, are you going to bet on Joker? Uh, I am not. I am not going to bet on Joker. I think Joker will w- rack up a few wins, but I think this is going to be one of those years where the Academy wants to spread the love around. And like, I don't think that Joker is such a cultural, like it's not a Titanic sized cultural phenomenon or like a Lord of the Rings kind of thing where it's like, it is time. Like it, it has the most nominations, but I don't think it's like, we must award Joker everything. Um, so could Joker upset an adapted screenplay? Possibly. I wouldn't rule it out. Um, but I'm giving the edge towards Jojo, especially because as we've talked about before, these are kind of a popularity contest and Taika Waititi is a delight. People just yeah. like hanging out with him. Yeah, I think this is where that abbreviated uh, window has kind of really messed things up. And I think one of the reasons that Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, I mean, on paper, that movie is Oscar catnip. It's got, uh, you know, three huge movie stars. It's about making movies, and it's from Quentin Tarantino. I think the the problem is they haven't really been able to, Sony hasn't really been able to coalesce a narrative around, like, what does Once Upon a Time, what does Once Upon a Time in Hollywood mean? Um, so like 1917, very easily technical Marvel and it's triumphant parasite. It's about class disparity and social immobility. Um, but I think Joker similarly, like, okay, but what is the thing? Like if you, what does a vote for Joker mean? You know what I mean? And that's something that like the Oscars are very, or that something that campaigners campaigners are very good at doing, uh, in terms of trying to get movies to win Oscars. Um, so, you know, Jojo Rabbit has even coalesced around this whole idea of, like, peace. Um, I don't know if you saw those consider yeah. uh, photographs that the cast did together. I thought that was really tasteful. But that's kind of the key is, like, creating a narrative so that you're telling voters when you vote for this movie, you are voting for this. And I, I don't think – I don't think Joker has really nailed that yet. You mean yeah, Warner Brothers might be running a slightly poor Oscar campaign? <laughs> yeah. Go yeah. on. Stars Born had it right there. Um, yeah, I say yet, like, you know, when you're listening to this on Tuesday, it will be the final day of Oscar voting. So, right. The narratives will be done. Yes. The knives will be in. <laughs> All right. M- visual effects. The nominees are Avengers Endgame, The Irishman, The Lion King, 1917, and Star Wars The Rise of Skywalker. Uh, you mentioned sometimes you just have to listen to the pattern, and the pattern is the most Oscar-y one wins this category. Yes, that's almost always what happens. Uh, if there's like a if there's a best picture nominee or like a an important seeming movie nominated alongside Spectacle, the important seeming movie will win. That's why Hugo won against Rise of the Planet of the Apes. That's why Life of Pi won over like the Avengers and the Hobbit. Um, that's why Interstellar won over Dawn of the Planet of the Apes. So last year, this award uh, nominated were Avengers Infinity War and Ready Player One and Solo A Star Wars Story, and the winner was First Man. So you kind of have to go in that regard. Uh, I think, so, so going by those rules, it's 1917 or The Irishman. I think that 1917 is a little too subtle. So I think I'm going to go with The Irishman here, but I reserve the right to change my answer. 
Yeah, I am, you know, I think the thing about 1917 is that, you know, although, actually, I'm going to go with 1917. Even though Irishman is, like, making a thing of its visual effects, I think some are going to be like, well, digital de-aging, I've seen that done. Like, they're not going to get, get into yeah. the, gritty, the nitty-gritty of, like, well, they didn't put dots on their face, and, like, they don't give a shit about that. So they're just going to yeah. be like, digital de-aging, it's been done, and I wasn't even that convinced. Whereas, like, 1917, it's like, whoa, how did they make that plane crash? Yeah, yeah. That's so, true. you know... That I, I'm going to give the edge to 1917. I think it's also a way for them to to award the Irishman because I don't think the movie's getting any other Oscars um, based on my predictions. Mm. But I guess the spoiler could be the Lion King because I mean the Jungle Book won in 2016 over Deepwater Horizon because it was just too big to ignore. Um, so I don't. I mean I guess it's possible that the Lion King wins again. That's Rob Legato who's won. I mean he won for the Lion King and he won for Avatar and Hugo. So. Yeah, I just guess because guess the Jungle Book was such an undeniable force of, like, nothing is there. Yeah. And then, like, but, you know, Oscar voters are like, what have you done for me lately? Yeah. <laughs> you know, I know what that That's looks true. I know what that looks like. That's true. And my mistake, Rob Legato did not do Avatar, uh, I don't think. So. Um, okay, moving on to sound mixing. The nominees are Ad Astra, Ford v. Ferrari, Joker, 1917, and Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. So these categories—the sound mixing and sound editing suck ass. They need and, to just combine it, and I think they the will. I think ones. next year. I mean, they've already said that they're leaning towards combining these categories. Yeah, and war movies tend to do well here, so I'm going with 1917. Um, yeah, I think 1917 is going to have a very good night just based yeah. on technical merits. Because again, like the thing is, is like you and I are like we saw all these movies and like we're really invested. Not every Oscar voter sees every movie. They just kind of yeah. be like, oh, all right. <laughs> yeah. Well, that seems right. They're like, sure. Cool. Yeah. But yeah, I think it's, I think it's either 1917 or Ford v. Ferrari. Because uh, it's like you always say, you put in change best to most. And you're like, oh, okay. Yeah. Most sound. I remember right. that 1917 was loud. Yeah, and I'd be like, I think Ford v. Ferrari deserves to win. But like, again, if you're just like sure. a casual Oscar voter who also doesn't understand the difference between sound editing and sound mixing... You just put 1917 in both categories and you call it a day and you're like, well, no one can get mad at us for that. Yeah. 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 So if you're putting your ballast down, it's the safe bet is to pick both for pick the same movie for both. Um, that doesn't always happen, but you'll at least get one right. Probably. Um, although I mean, knowing the difference between sound editing and sound mixing, I think that, uh, I think 1970 is definitely deserving of sound mis- mixing because of the whole one shot aspect and right. shooting everything on location. So. Yeah, and then so for your sound editing nominees, it's Ford v Ferrari, Joker, 1917, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, and Star Wars: The Rise of Skywalker. <laughs> I like that that ding happened for Star Wars. Ding, Star Wars. That's yeah, my, that's and my I've watch. Got 1917 here as well. Um, yeah, so I'm I, yeah I'm also betting 1917. Like I I feel like again going with my gut and like the kind of night I think 1917 is going to have, especially with the momentum that it has. Um, it just feels like the safe choice. Like it ha- it's checking all the boxes that Academy voters like. Mm-hmm. Um, all right, so we're skipping over the shorts because I haven't seen them and you haven't seen them yet. And the shorts are where ballots go to die anyway. I heard they're very, like, especially depressing this year. So good awesome. on you. Awesome. <laughs> Even the animated ones. Uh, I thought Hair Love was supposed to be quite nice. Yeah. I don't right. know. I just, I just, the word on the street is that they're very depressing this year. All right. So. 
So production design, uh, the nominees are The Irishman, Jojo Rabbit, 1917, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, and Parasite. This is a pretty tough one. Mm-hmm. I mean, my gut says Parasite because it's so obviously like, I mean, look at that house that they built. But I don't know how many voters know that they built the house. And traditionally, period films tend to win in this category. Um, so I'm go right now. I have Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, but I'm not entirely sure where I'm going to fall on this one. I'm leaning towards Once Upon a Time, even though I think 1917 and Parasite have incredible production design. Yeah. If I'm a casual Academy voter who's like, oh, production design, this means you put up, you know, sets and sevens. Like they recreated that strip. It yeah. really did look like the 19. You know, it really did look like 1969 or what have you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah, and that's kind of how you have to think of these. Um, and sometimes do it as quickly as possible. Not all Oscar voters. We should also say hashtag not all Oscar voters because Edgar Wright, uh, you know, put on Twitter that he's been methodically going through all of the nominees in every single category and is doing his due diligence. But that's not the case for all right. Well, I mean, when you have a year where, like, I think of what who someone said. I forget who who it was um, that they need that they should have Oscar voters should have to approve that they've seen the films. Yeah, it was Carrie Mulligan. Carrie Mulligan, yeah. Like, there's an issue there. There's an issue that some of these... And, and, and every fucking year, and I'm surprised we haven't... I mean, maybe we have gotten in, I just missed it. But, like, the Hollywood Reporter or Variety, it's like, this is the anonymous Oscar voter. And it's always some prick who's like, I don't know any of these movies, but this is how I feel. And then yeah. they just show you how fucking ignorant they are. Yeah. It's infuriating every year. <laughs> yes. Like, if I were an Academy member, I'd be like, don't... A notice to all Academy members... Don't fucking do this. I don't know who's yeah. it, who, who's doing this, but you're making all of us look bad. And I don't know what the answer is there because, I mean, you can't – I don't know how you police to make sure that everyone has seen everything because, um, you know, some people may have seen Once Upon a Time in Hollywood in July when it opened in theaters. Like how do you prove that they saw it? But also on that shortened window, you think of people like, you know, people have families. People are – you know, some filmmakers are mothers, new – taking care of newborn children. Some filmmakers, uh, you know, are in the middle of directing another project right now. And the window between when nominations are announced and when voting closes is like three weeks. So yeah, that's not no, a lot of time to catch up if you haven't been actively watching movies. Oh, for sure. Like the Academy in a, in a weird way is kind of kneecapped themselves, you know, with this abbreviated voting window, you mm-hmm. know, but that's just but if it, if it were longer, the, the campaigning would just be interminable. That's that, that is also true. So, yeah. Yeah. I don't know what the, the what the correct answer is. I agree that people voting should have seen, you know, 80 percent of the nominees um, and they all have the option of abstaining. Like if there's a category in which they haven't seen any or some of the nominees and choose not to vote. They're allowed to do that. But I don't know how many do. Right. So, so anyway. Um, all right. Music. Uh, original song. Uh, Toy Story 4. Rocket Man. Breakthrough, Frozen 2, and Harriet. Uh, I'm thinking it's Rocket Man because it has yeah. the narrative. I'm going with Rocket Man as well. Um, the thing to keep in mind with this is on Oscar ballads, it doesn't say who performed or wrote the song. It just says, I'm going to love me again from Rocket Man. Um, I can't remember the famous one that lost. I think it was Lady Gaga that lost for The Hunting Ground. Right. And everyone was like, how could that happen? And I was like, well, her name isn't on the ballot. So if yeah. you didn't know that Lady Gaga wrote that song, then you didn't know that that, that, that's that being said, you have to be living in a hole to not know that rocket man is the Elton John movie. Like <laughs> yes, exactly. the, the two are pretty closely connected. Yeah. Elton John did a song for this. Yeah. 
And Frozen 2, I mean, the movie, it's the highest grossing animated movie of all time and yet has a very little cultural footprint on the industry at large. Um, But I know it's a big deal for families and for kids, and uh, I'm a fan of the soundtrack. I've been listening to those songs a while. Um, But I think we can all agree that Lost in the Woods should have been nominated here instead, right? I guess. I mean, I I think it's a kind of a weaker soundtrack, to be honest. It's okay. It grew on me the more I listened to it. And I think that Kristoff song is amazing. Mm. Uh, I loved it when I heard it uh, in the movie. But uh, Into the Unknown is just so blatantly trying to be the next Let It Go. I think it's fine, but I don't know. Mm. It's fine. And and the fact that Frozen 2 wasn't nominated for Best Animated Feature, I think, kind of tells you how the Academy's feeling about that movie overall. Exactly. So So I think Rocket Man, you give Elton John another Oscar, you know. Yeah. Everyone's happy. All's well that ends well. Uh, Okay, moving on. Uh, A music original score. The nominees are Joker, Little Women, Marriage Story, 1917, and Star Wars The Rise of Skywalker. Uh, I think Thomas Newman is going to go 15 times without getting an Oscar. (laughs) (laughs) He should write better music. I like some of his stuff. What do you have against Thomas Newman? By and large, I think his stuff is pretty boring, though. Really? Like even Shawshank and... I love Shawshank. And Road to Perdition. and I love Road to Perdition, but like... Finding Nemo, he's done some good stuff. Yeah, but he's also done like Spectre and Bridge of Spies and... Well, you know, they can't all be winners. I mean, look at fucking Hans Zimmer over here who recycles his scores. (laughs) That's true. But even Skyfall, I felt, was a pretty bummer score from Thomas Newman. All right, that's fair. I don't mean to go on a diatribe. No, no. I just think like 1917 is a really good score from him. This looked like it would be his year, but I think it's going to be Hildur Guntadotter. Yeah. uh, For Joker. The the first woman to ever win this guy. No, that's not true. Two women have won before. Yeah. That, Oh man. Now I have to go fucking do research. (laughs) I have to do research. I thought she was the woman nominated. Score. Now I have, I, I looked this up. Uh, Um, and jump to best original score and the winners, uh, past women. Uh, so in 1936, Dorothy Fields won for the, for the way you look. Oh, that's best original song. Let me best. Okay. Uh, in 1983, Marilyn Bergman won for Yentl in 1996, Rachel Portman won for Emma. Um, mm-hmm. and Oh, actually, and uh, Dudley won for 97 for, uh, for, for Monty. the full Monty. And then it's interesting Original musical or comedy score, yeah. So yeah, it's been a while. It's been over twenty years, but it's going to be yeah. Hildur uh, Gunhildur, I think, for Joker. Yeah, and uh, you know, I think that's a really good score. So I'm. Not... It is. It's doing a lot of heavy lifting. I also think Alexander Desplat's score for Little Women is incredible. Randy Newman's score for Marriage Story, I think, is fantastic. So it's a good year. It is a good year. Yeah. Rise of Skywalker. Eh. <laughs> <laughs> John Williams doesn't need John Williams doesn't need another Oscar, and he certainly doesn't need it for The Rise of Skywalker. <laughs> put it that Franchise way. Sure, is the opposite of the Return of the King in yes. terms of going out on a high note. Right. <laughs> um, all right. So uh, for makeup and hairstyling, the nominees are Bombshell, Joker, Judy, Maleficent, Mistress of Evil, and 1917. Um, I think it's going to be Bombshell. Yeah, I do too. It's just so obvious. <laughs> Yeah, with the and they've been pushing doing. it pretty hard, and Kazu is, you know, a legend in the industry. He did Darkest Hour. Yeah. Um, Seems like a pretty safe bet on the night. 
Yeah. It's interesting, though, because this is the first year that category has been expanded from three to five nominees. When so. really it should arguably be eliminated entirely. So <laughs> you, so you don't so? have things like best, best – you have an Oscar winner like Suicide Squad. Well, yeah. I think that's more people not recognizing because I can't remember. There was something more interesting that year. Maybe. But I think it's a worthy category. I think it's yeah. fine. Those people do a lot of good work. They do, they do, but I also feel what like you it's, have against makeup. Gold I don't gold. have it against against makeup, but I think sometimes the academy is stretching. I'll put it that way. Yeah, that's fair. All right, um, all right. International feature film. The nominees are Corpus Christi, Honeyland, Les Misérables, Pain and Glory, and Parasite. Uh, Parasite's going to win. Yes, <laughs> that's a, that's a gimme. That's your free square on your ballot. <laughs> yeah, or we riot. Or we riot. Yeah. If, if Parasite loses international feature film, something has gone very wrong. Yeah. That's um, fair. All right. Film editing. The nominees are Ford v. Ferrari, The Irishman, Jojo Rabbit, Joker, and Parasite. I, <laughs> I'm having trouble with this one. Um, Ironically, 1917 should be the one that gets, should be in here and win it because of the hidden edits that it does. It really should. And I saw some people poo-pooing the editing in that movie. And I was like, what the fuck are you smoking? Because um, the, like, the, the job of editing that movie – and I l- listened to an interview with Lee Smith who edited it. And it wasn't like they were just like, yo, you know, here's today's take and here it is. He said they would do like 30 or 40 takes of some of this stuff. And then it was up to him to tell them which take they were using on the previous take so that the next take could match it. So the match cut, the invisible cut, so the shot would match up perfectly, which is a pretty insane thing to do. So that should really be here, um, as should Little Women, which I think is just a tremendous piece of editing. I agree. Um, but I, right now I have Parasite winning this one, but I think it's possible they go with Joker or Ford v. Ferrari. Yeah, I'm... I'm probably going to – I honestly am a bit of a loss for this one, but I think because everything is terrible, let's say Joker. <laughs> yeah. I mean the if you look at the history of it, it's a pretty interesting category because it used to match up with whatever was going to win Best Picture. And then I think it was 2010 is when it started to kind of deviate. They went for the social network um, and then the next year went with The Girl with the Dragon Tattoo, won Best Film Editing at the Oscars, uh, believe it or not. Um and then you had Argo and Gravity, which kind of matched up with like Best Picture-esque things. But then, you know, Whiplash won, Mad Max Fury Road won, Hacksaw Ridge won, and then Dunkirk, uh, obviously, and then Bohemian Rhapsody. <laughs> so. Yeah, the fact that Bohemian Rhapsody won, like, just kind of blows everything up. Well, even last year, the nominees were terrible. It was like Bohemian Rhapsody and Green Book and Vice. And I was like, what? Yeah. What are you doing? Yeah. So, so the editing branch has failed and the Academy has failed. Yeah, and like since they started adding people, I think they picked some cool things like Mad Max Fury Road and Whiplash. I just don't know if they'll make the cool choice or I don't know. Now I'm kind of talking myself into going with Joker because they'll think it's the cool choice. I think I think it's going to be Joker. <laughs> I think it's possible it'll be Joker too, but it should be Parasite because that would be. And, and I would say Irishman. honestly, I would say it should be The Irishman. The fact that that film is three and a half hours and it just fucking moves. Yeah. You know, like it doesn't never feels like it's getting bogged down. And then like the way it changes and transforms, like I think it should be the Irishman, but yeah, that's fair. I think it, I think I like Parasite a lot just because of the way the narrative unfolds. Sure. Um, but you're right with the Irishman, like from, from shot to shot, the Irishman is a masterpiece. So, yeah. 
Anyway, it's going to be Joker because it's gonna be nothing Joker. is good. Uh, all right, so we haven't seen the documentary short subject nominees, so we're just going to move past that. Again, for the short subjects, if you're like, but what do I pick? Like the day before, like just do some research and like go with your, and then like make your best guess. It, the shorts are where your ballot, you're just, you, you might get lucky and you might not, but it, those are three categories. It's just how it rolls. Yeah, and I'll be watching them this week. So when I post my full predictions on Friday, which may or may not be different from what we're talking about here, but I also include what should win and what should have been nominated. Um, those will, God willing, uh, include me having seen the short films. So. Yeah. Uh, okay, so this year, uh, okay, moving on to documentary features. The nominees are American Factory, The Cave, The Edge of Democracy, For Sama, and Honeyland. Um, you know, what's interesting is that Mark Harris, um, may, uh, who's a writer, film, uh, film historian, made a really good observation that the internationalization of the Academy kind of is borne out in this documentary feature category. It's very, yeah. even American Factory is like the view of America from another country. Mm-hmm. Um, and also there's no real like feel good movie in this bunch. There's no like, Oh, well this is like the uplifting one. You know, they all sort of have their weight to them. And that, so for me, if I had to guess, I might guess American factory because of the Obamas. Yeah. The, to be fair, American factory is the only one of these I've seen. I know of the other ones, mm-hmm. but it's also uh, the most quote unquote uplifting, which is kind of what they tend to go for. Right. And it's on Netflix. So, yeah. Um, I've heard they're all good. Uh, and I've, I will, and, and Honeyland I've seen, I was kind of mixed on Honeyland, but, um, yeah. American factory is my guess. Yeah. Uh, because the front runner wasn't even nominated. No, it wasn't <laughs> again, okay. documentary branch, a mess. All right. Uh, best director, uh, Martin Scorsese for the Irishman, Todd Phillips for Joker, Sam Mendes for 1917, Quentin Tarantino for once upon a time in Hollywood and Bong Joon-ho for parasite. I think Mendes has this pretty locked down at this point. Yeah. Is that fair to say? I, I do too. Uh, I mean, the, the winner of the Director's Guild is matched up with the winner of the Best Director Oscar. Um, I can't remember the exact stat, but it's crazy accurate in terms of predicting. And if you just eyeball the last few winners, they go for, in this category, the technical wizardry. So uh, Alfonso Cuaron for Gravity, Alfonso Cuaron for Roma. Um, Inuritu for The Revenant and Birdman, Ang Lee for Life of Pi. Um, so they go for the thing that's like, oh, wow, like that's a really cool thing to have pulled off. Not necessarily subtlety or performance driven uh, films, um, at least as of late. So I think that's why Sam Mendes kind of had this, has this in the bag because it's just so obviously like, yes, the one shot movie was well directed. <laughs> Obviously. Yeah. It just makes sense. Yeah. Um, all right. So moving on, uh, costume design. The nominees are The Irishman, Jojo Rabbit, Joker, Little Women, and Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. I am going with Jojo Rabbit here. Um, it won the Costume Designers Guild Award um, pretty shockingly. Um, usually they go for like the frilly period piece here. So it could be Little Women. It could be Joker. I mean, I don't know. It's, this is a tough one. I'm going to lean towards Little Women because I think that's sort of the direction that they that they would head. Yeah. Um, I, a part of, back of, part of me is like maybe the Irishman because they love Sandy Powell and like the Irishman has to cover so much ground 
in terms yeah. of being a period piece. But I feel like Little Women is just like very much like very obviously. It's a very obvious choice, and uh, f- yeah, I just feel like uh, costumes are a women thing, and that says Little Women, and uh, it makes sense to me. Like, yeah, you know, if I'm, I'm a sh- again in the back of my head is that shitty anonymous Academy voter. <laughs> what would they do? <laughs> They did go for Black Panther last year. Um, I true, so but but the they were able to build up a narrative about Ruth E. Carter, yeah, and sort of like that's a big deal for her to get sure. this, that's and that true. narrative doesn't really exist this year. Yeah, yeah, maybe it is Little Women. I don't know. <laughs> I've just got a feeling about Jojo Rabbit. People just fucking love that movie. So yeah. Um, okay, so the nominees for best cinematography are. Uh, the Irishman, Joker, The Lighthouse, 1917, and Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. If 1917 doesn't win, something has gone wrong. <laughs> yes. <laughs> it, it's won all the precursor. It's, it's strolled through this category. Yeah. And I think Deegan's will become the second ever cinematographer to win back-to-back. Because uh, Chivo did it. Oh, did, did Chivo win three in a row? He won three in a row. You won three in a row, yeah. So yeah, I don't know. I don't know if there were other. Was Blade Runner last year? Blade Runner was last year. Yeah. No, it wasn't. No. Was it not? No, it wasn't because I was oh, still in my yeah, old apartment. Oh yeah, yeah, Roma won last year. Yeah. That's that's right. <laughs> so this win is meaningless Silly for me. Deacons. This doesn't matter. Yeah. Uh, no, I, I obviously I think Deacons deserves it, and uh, hopefully you know the Academy doesn't fuck that up. Yeah. All right. Uh, best animated feature film. The nominees are How to Train Your Dragon, The Hidden World, I Lost My Body, Klaus, Missing Link, and Toy Story 4. This is a tough category. It really is, and it's usually not. Uh, I think I'm going to go with Klaus because it's been winning everything. And it's like it's very visibly been winning everything as the nominations voting has been going on. Um, and Toy Story 4 is just such a fine movie. <laughs> It, yeah, it Toy Story really 4 strikes me like if you didn't have to watch anything, like, oh, Toy Story, like if I had only seen Toy Story 4 and one other of these nominees, I'd be like, oh, Toy Story 4. But Klaus just seen, you know, and I'll, I'll, personally, I think I lost my body is the best of the bunch. But sure. um, yeah, I think Klaus is, is going to win this one for its style of animation and for just, again, the momentum that it has. And again, like the thing about Pixar, like, what, you know, our, our Academy voters like what we're going to not we're going to give another Oscar to another Toy Story film. Yeah, you know, so I think it's going to be yeah. gloss. Yeah, I think so too. Which will be interesting. That'll be a, a bit of an upset. So yeah. we'll see. Uh, okay, so all the acting categories are gimmies, but we're going to run through them anyway, <laughs> just yes. so you can fill it in on your ballot right now. Actress in a supporting role: uh, Kathy Bates for Richard Jewell, Laura Dern for Marriage Story, Scarlett Johansson for Jojo Rabbit. Florence Pugh for Little Women, Margot Robbie for Bombshell. It's going to be Laura Dern for Marriage Story. Yes. Actor in a supporting role, Tom Hanks for A Beautiful Day in the Neighborhood, Anthony Hopkins, The Two Popes, Al Pacino, The Irishman, Joe Pesci, The Irishman, Brad Pitt, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. It's Brad Pitt. Moving on. <laughs> Actors in, <laughs> this is just for the people who are like, don't follow this crap at all and just are like going to an Oscar party on Sunday and they're like, I don't want it. I don't know what's going to win. We're telling you what's going to win in the acting categories. Yeah, these, these four people have won almost every single precursor award for these. Like it, it would be a massive shocker if any of these people did not win. Yes. Actors in a leading role. Cynthia Erivo, 
Harriet, Scarlett Johansson, Marriage Story, Saoirse Ronan, Little Women, Charlie's Theron, Bombshell, Renee Zellweger, Judy, it's going to be Zellweger, um, and actor in a leading role, Antonio Banderas for Pain and Glory, Leonardo DiCaprio for Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, Adam Driver, Marriage Story, Joaquin Phoenix, Joker, Jonathan Price, The Two Popes. It's Joaquin Phoenix for Joker. For what I think is one of his weaker performances, but whatever. Yes. <laughs> At least he's been giving good speeches lately. That's true. I think even he knows this is kind of silly. So Yes. Yeah. All right. And now we come to Best Picture, and this is where uh, it's going to get uh, controversial again. Going to get bloody. All right. So the nominees for Best Picture are Ford v. Ferrari, The Irishman, Jojo Rabbit, Joker, Little Women, Marriage Story, 1917, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, and Parasite. Now, we have talked about the Joker scenario. What happens if Joker has a big night? It could. That, I am not ruling that out. There is a possibility where Joker just fucking runs the table, but I don't think that's going to happen. And I don't know about you, Adam, but for me, what I have been, especially this past weekend and like with the BAFTAs and like all these award shows, what keeps sort of going back and forth in my mind is this is really between 1917 and Parasite. Yes, correct. And I do, and, 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 I'm torn between my heart and my gut or yes. my gut, my gut and my brain. <laughs> uh, my gut tells me, right, my brain is telling me 1917 because yes. 1917 won the PGA. It's won. It won the BAFTA. It won it. Like it's, it's having a good time. 1917 is, is won a lot of awards. It won the golden globe. It has the narrative. It's benefiting from a shorter time frame. It doesn't have any sort of counter narrative really to sort of fight against. It seems like it's just going to stroll on in there. But my gut is saying Parasite. My gut yeah. is saying Parasite could win this. And I'm going to go with my gut and say Parasite. That's what I have as well. Uh, on a preferential ballot, I just feel like the, the preferential ballot benefits Parasite in a very huge way. Um, it's a movie that everyone's talking about. It's a movie that everyone has been talking about. It's a foreign language film, yes. But unlike Roma, it's a very entertaining, easy to recommend foreign language film but it's also very clearly about something it has a very clear point of view um all that being said it's possible that the old white dudes in the academy just didn't bother because they didn't want to read subtitles so that is also possible in which case 1917 is the winner i think it's between these two um for sure um there is a path for joker as you've discussed as we've discussed uh i even think there's a path for once upon a time in hollywood it's a lot harder. I think the momentum has, has gone away a little bit. Um, but if, you know, the people are filling out their ballots and they're like, I just love movies about movies, um, I think it's possible. Um, although you would then have to alter some of your other um, predictions. I mean, we have been, since the preferential ballot started and since they expanded the Best Picture nominees, we've, had, we've seen more films winning Best Picture with fewer Oscars. Because it used to be, like a movie like Titanic or Return of the King or even The English Patient would need to win like four or five other awards in order to win Best Picture. Um, that's just kind of how it went. But with this preferential ballot when you're, where you're ranking the Best Picture nominees from one to ten, and as they go on and start counting them, as they move away, let's say like, oh, all the people who put 
Jojo Rabbit, or no, all the people who put like Ford v. Ferrari at number one on their ballots. Ford v. Ferrari doesn't have enough one-place votes. So let's go to all those ballots and look at what they put as number two, and we'll put those on the number one piles for those films. So you look for the movie that's going to show up on the number two and number three on a lot of ballots, in addition to enough first-place votes to kind of keep it in the game. Um, and that's why I think Once Upon a Time in Hollywood definitely has a shot. Uh, even Jojo Rabbit has been, especially this past weekend, um, I think that was the right time for it to get a visibility boost with those screenplay wins for Taika and the Costume Designers Guild win. Um, you know, it seems like a lot of people really like that movie as well. So, you know, your two frontrunners are Parasite in 1917, so you would do wise to pick one of those. If you're not going to pick one of those, uh, you should probably pick Joker, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, or Jojo Rabbit. That's kind of the lay of the land. Yeah. I mean, again, I think this is between 1917 and Parasite because the others are kind of a stretch. Yes. Um, but what's interesting is like, you know, we talk about patterns and precursors, but either way, if 1917 or Parasite wins, that blows up um, the fact that like, for instance, neither of those films has an acting nomination and you have to go yeah. all the way back to 2008 and Slumdog Millionaire for a Best Picture winner that doesn't have a, an acting nominee. Yeah. Um, in some ways, Parasite is looks like it's going to be very similar to a spotlight path, where it has the screenplay and it win. Then it you know comes out on top with uh, it doesn't get directing, but it wins Best Picture. Yeah. Um, you know, or Moonlight, which only won supporting actor and adapted screenplay. Exactly. In the Best Picture. Right. Exactly. And Moonlight notably did not win the Producers Guild Award. Um, so that was. For all those people saying, like, 1917 has the Producers Guild, therefore it will win Best Picture, most of the time, yes. But in the case of Moonlight, that's not what happened. Now, and earlier in the podcast, we talked about, you know, the BAFTAs, you know, they share voters with the Academy, they have the preferential ballot. However, I was doing a little research this weekend, BAFTA has not, not Best Picture nominee, Best Picture winner has not lined up with the Oscars since 2013. Yes. You have to go back also, to 12 years also, of slave. Also, 1917 is like BAFTA catnip. Oh, for sure. It is it's World, World War One. <laughs> From an acclaimed British director about the British in a story of triumph for the British. So, or a story of sacrifice and yeah. loss and all that good stuff. So I'm, you know, again, my head is telling me there are plenty of indicators to give 1917 Best Picture. If 1917 wins Best Picture, I'm not going to be mad about it. Like, yeah, I think 1917 is a really good movie. Um, I certainly, it's not going to be like a green book situation where like, what the fucking fuck? The only way you get that from me on Sunday is if Joker wins best picture, then you get a, what the fucking fuck? Um, then, uh, but I, I, my gut is telling me that with an more internationalized Academy body that is already making itself known and a crowd pleaser like Parasite you know, a film that, like, is, as you said, is more watchable than Roma. I mean, I really like Roma, but Roma is a sit. You know, yeah. uh, Parasite is very entertaining. Um, when you put those together, especially also just Bong Joon-ho just being just such a likable guy um, that people just are like, oh, he's a cool dude. Um, I just feel like Parasite could could take it. Yeah. And it won the SAG Best Ensemble Award. Which yeah, it's, it not, it's not coming in here without any awards. That's the other thing. Yeah. It's not like it has nothing going for it. And the SAG Award doesn't normally match up with Best Picture. Um, I mean, Hidden Figures, Hidden Figures won on Best Ensemble and Glorious Bastards won Best Ensemble. But it shows that it can win on a within a you know giant voting body. Right. It can win the top award. So. Yes. So 
that's that to Monday and we're like, hey, we stupid. It it was 1917 all along. <laughs> we're so stupid. Well, you know, and that's the thing. Like this year, like our ballots could just implode. Like I, I would not be surprised if this is one of those years where like I get fifty percent. Um, so I'm gonna lose two dollars in my Oscar pool. So so it goes. Oh no, two dollars. Um, so but uh, I think this will hopefully at least be an entertaining ceremony. No, no host again, and uh, hopefully things move along. <laughs> that's that's what you, know, what you can hope for. Um, you know, so. Anyway, th- those are our Oscar predictions. You can yell at us on Monday. Yes. Hopefully it'll be fun. All right. Uh, well, with that, let's move on to Recently Watched. What have you seen lately? Uh, when I got back from Sundance, I wanted to watch something kind of trashy uh, just to kind of cleanse the palate, so to speak. Uh, and I was clearing off my DVR, and I had Girl in the Spider's Web on there, um, which I was curious about. I never saw it in theaters. Um, it's Fede Alvarez's... I guess reboot of the girl in the dragon girl with the dragon tattoo franchise. And it's not very good, but I was kind of struck by how blatantly it's ripping off Fincher. Like even the opening credits are done in the style of Fincher's movie. And I don't know, just the tone of the film is trying to be Fincher esque, but it's also just much more of a straightforward thriller um, with a villain that doesn't really come into play until the third act. Therefore, you don't really get to know the villain or know anything about the villain at all, um, which was kind of dumb. Also, that Claire Foy, gave, Claire Foy gave kind of a sleepy performance, so I was not super into that. So I was curious, but I think this just kind of shows what an adaptation of that book could have looked like without Fincher at the helm and, and goes that makes you appreciate I mean. It's not my favorite venture film, but it makes you appreciate his attention to detail and his handle on character much more. That's interesting. Yeah, I'm not a I'm not a big Fetty Alvarez fan, um, and uh, so I was kind, of, but I was still kind of curious because I do like Claire Foy. But yeah, I I I, I looks like uh, I didn't miss much there. It's also like shockingly tame. Like mm. I don't know. I'm not looking for just like blatant nudity everywhere and like tons of like grotesque violence and stuff. But like, I don't know. It felt like a PG-13 movie in an R-rated box. It did it, for a story of like this tortured trauma riddled character. It just felt kind of oddly tame to me. So was it, is it PG-13 or is it R? I think it's R because there's some nudity in it. Huh. All right. But Weird. maybe it is PG-13. I'm looking it up. Uh, it's rated R. All right. So, yeah, that was a waste. <laughs> okay. <laughs> uh, for me, I just kind of want... So, this past weekend was Groundhog Day. Usually, I watch Groundhog Day on Groundhog Day. This year, I decided to change it up and watch a Groundhog Day-esque movie. And I, hadn't, I realized I hadn't seen uh, Edge of Tomorrow in a while. And I was like, this is always good for a watch. And it is. Um, it's just really, really well done. Like I know Doug Lyman, the way he makes movies is probably infuriating to every producer and studio (laughs) in the world. Um, but sometimes he pulls it together and when he does, I mean, it's amazing that this film, like the film works as well as it does, uh, given how it was made. But, you know, the thing that jumped out at me this time was, in the 2010s, like Tom Cruise kind of stopped giving, re- I don't want to say real performances. He just wasn't really interested in dramas. 
Uh, his last dramatic feature was arguably Valkyrie in 2008. Um, American Made, I would say. Really? American Made is more of like a comedy. Like, I mean, it's like it's, I mean, it does have dramatic aspects to it, but it really plays up its dark comedy. More than I think any. he thinks it's a. I think he thinks it's a drama, and or it started out as a drama, and then the Doug Lyman process made it a little more. Made, great, made it more lighthearted. Yeah. But there's all the stuff with his family and his wife. <laughs> That's I think true. It, you know. That's true. But I would say like, and I think American Made is very good. But my larger point is that Tom Cruise, who for a time was like, I'm going to be in Eyes Wide Shut, and I'm going to be in Magnolia, and I'm going to be in like these really interesting movies, stopped doing that. <laughs> yeah. Um. And which is a shame because I think Tom Cruise is actually a very talented, dramatic actor. And you see that in Edge of Tomorrow, like in the scenes where he is sort of wrestling with the futility of his actions. The film really, you know, hits that emotional stakes. Like, it's not just like, we we're we're having fun. And Emily Blunt keeps shooting me in the head. Like, it's, <laughs> you know, like there's there's real emotional weight there. And I just. I guess, and we've talked about Tom Cruise a lot on this podcast, more, perhaps more than we should, but we've done like, whenever there's like a new Tom Cruise movie, like we really dive in and we've done like We're a long it. episode on like all of his movies and like, cause I think he's a fascinating actor. Um, I just, I wonder if like when he's finally done with the action thing, like, will he go back to dramas or what? Or will he just be like, I'm going to keep doing action movies until a stunt goes wrong and I, and I die and then go out in a blaze of glory. Yeah. Yeah, it'll be interesting. I'll be curious to see if, like, in his old age, he's like, all right, back to dramas, because I can't run anymore. Right, because <laughs> all my bones are broken. Yeah. Um, but Edge of Tomorrow holds up very well. I would also say, you know, hot take, I don't want a sequel. I don't want it. Oh, yeah. I don't want it. I know that they're working on it. I don't want it. <laughs> I would watch it, but I don't need it. I, don't... I think that, that movie is so insanely rewatchable. Mm-hmm. Uh, exactly. Like, and it, and it has an end point. Like... You know, it does, it doesn't, there's not a cliffhanger. There's not like, Ooh, where's the mythology going to go? Like, you know, just let it, let it be. Sure. Anyway, that's my feeling on edge of tomorrow. All right. Well, if you want to keep up with this podcast, you should follow us on Twitter. Adam, where can we find you on Twitter? At Adam Chitwood. And you can find me at Matt Goldberg. Thanks for listening. Everyone we will be back with you next week.